Hey, it's Sean here from Virtually Playable. Uh, today I'm interviewing Vivian Tan, and if you see me squirming around, um, it's because this little companion of mine, Badger, the cat, uh, was hunting around looking for things to play with in, in my studio. So, while we're talking about virtual dragons, um, I'm dealing with a little fluffy cat walking around. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. This is uh, Sean from Virtually Playable and joining me this week is Vivian Tan from Beast Pets. Uh, so, um, hi Vivian, how's it going? Going well, thank you Sean for having me. Awesome, so um, please introduce yourself and uh, also like the path that led you to where you are. Okay, um, I'm Vivian, I'm the co-founder and CEO of a startup based in San Francisco called Beast Inc. And we are creating virtual pets using VR, AR technologies, and artificial intelligence. And uh, I've had an interesting path getting to where I am. It's kind of lots of twists and turns. Um, mm. I I grew up programming a lot of HTML games and kind of always dreaming that one day I'll be able to do something in 3D instead of you know flat games. Yeah. And about 10, 15 years ago, I discovered um, virtual worlds like Second Life. And I was like, oh, this is a dream come true. You know, I, it's, it offers not just game programming opportunities, but um, this other alternate universe in which we can be what, whoever we want and create whatever. And I started playing around in there, just creating things, usually clothing and fashion accessories. And people kept coming up to me and asking, can I buy it? Yeah. And that's when I discovered this whole virtual economy and by accident created a hit fashion brand in there. But then that really stuck with me over the years, you know, like the power of virtual worlds and virtual reality. Um, meanwhile, in IRL, right, I was pursuing a more traditional path. I was studying to become a lawyer. Um, I did, I did graduate from law school, but then the calling on the startup, and uh, the p potential of games and virtual worlds was just, the pull there was just so strong, I had to go yeah. pursue it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I found a lot to relate to, like I read a little bit of your bio, yeah, I saw uh, Law there. Um, meme, like I've, I've, when I straight out of high school, I thought about science, maybe engineering, and then tech technology, multimedia. And then eventually came back around to like marketing because I figured, well, there's no point making a product if there's, you don't know if people want it, want what you're making. Um, so like, what kind of advice do you have for someone who um, is interested in games, but currently in a totally different That's a really good question. And I, I keep thinking about like, what kind of advice I would give myself. Um, mm if I knew back then what I knew today. Um, I think some things I would keep the same or like the, the same things I, I tried out, which is use a lot of the resources that are freely available. Um, for instance, online tutorials, there's lots of them. Get to know the basics of what you're building. Um, so kind of figure out what your strengths and your interests are. Like, are you into the coding side of things? Are you into 
the art and animation and design aspects of the games. And you might have to try out a little bit of everything before you find out, you know, what interests you and what you're good at. Um, Secondly, take advantage of communities, both online and offline. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, lots of people who are, you know, a few steps or a few years ahead of you and then can give you a lot of pointers. Um, You can leverage those resources to find other people to work with. And also just to share really cool ideas, and that's always fun. And thirdly, and this is something I wish I had known earlier, is to iterate your your process and test with people. And you with the marketing background, you understand like you can build something awesome and it could just live in your computer and no one ever plays it. And that's a shame. So like, don't be afraid of putting unfinished products out there and letting people test it. Yeah. And this one, I think especially, I wish my younger self knew because I'm, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. I like try to make things super polished before putting it out there. And then, you know, by then it might be too hard to go back and fix things. So, so it's always test people. Yeah. (laughs) It's awesome advice. Um, so like you started off with HTML. How did you use HTML to make games? They were, they were really simple, like point and click treasure hunting games. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I did something similar. I I'm, I'm probably a little bit younger than you, but um, I was really into Myst, the, the point and click game, mm-hmm. and then um, the ability to make hyperlinks and use like Microsoft Paint to like design a, an environment, and then you could click on certain areas using image maps. Like I I, I tried stuff like that, but <laughs> probably not as far as you went. Yeah, and I should clarify, this is like. This predates a lot of the modern, more modern gaming technology. Yeah, this is yeah. like from the nineties when I, in the nineties when I was making like the point and click treasure hunting game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now now I get how you can make HTML games. Yeah, yeah, yeah got it. <laughs> I know. Even I, I'm trying to think of it as like modern HTML. I was like, who plays that anymore? Right? There's a bit of a disconnect there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got it. <laughs> so, um, how did you first discover virtual reality? You know, I think, I'm trying to think of the aha moment I had. Like, I always knew VR was going to be a thing. It was kind of like in the back of my head. Yeah. And um, when I was building for virtual worlds, VR was far from going mainstream. We were, like, still about 10 years off. But then, you know, I, I kept I kept thinking, oh, so this will be so much better when I'm building if we have VR. But I kept thinking that's going to be not until, like, 2025, 2030, and this was a few years ago. Yeah. And I remember when um, the DK1 first came out and I put it on and I was one of the, I was one of the percentage of population that got really sick using VR, the yeah. early iteration. Yeah. And it made me really sad. I was like, oh no, I live for virtual worlds and 3D gaming and I, and I can't play VR. That, mm. that sad. But then I put on the DK2. And then the HTC Vive, all in the same year. And this was way back in 2016, which in VR time was a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. And then it hit me. I'm like, oh my gosh, VR, I don't have to wait until 2030 for VR. VR is here now. And that was 
that was kind of like the aha moment about how a lot of these ideas I have just stored in the back of my mind for over a decade can finally come true. And virtual pets was one of them. Yeah. Because when I was in, when I was building in Second Life, um, I had a little pet dog. Someone else made it, but mm -hmm. I had Bob's dog and she would just keep me company when I was making things. And that always stuck with me about, you know, that powerful bond. And I think that was one of the first things I knew I wanted to try building when when I first put on like a VR headset, that was very, very compelling. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So it's like, just, I, I, just, I just realized like for some people, they might not even know what Second Life is. It was like, it was like, um, it's similar to VR chat, what VR chat is now in that there's a lot of user generated yeah. content on there. Um, yeah. but it was huge, right? Like it was, it was a little bit pre World of Warcraft, and um, there were people living their lives through Second Life, and um, and it was it it's like if that was still around today, that would have been the major thing. Uh, is it still running Second Life? It is still running. Yeah. Um, but because you have like um more modern variations of it, such as VR Chat, you know yeah. that that it's, I think it's more of a kind of like a older wave of people using Second Life. Like I myself have not built anything for it for, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years, yeah. but in, in a way it was a bit before it's time. It's like, like you said, it's like, a, it, it's, it's this huge online world, like World of Warcraft, but it's different from an M, like from an MMO because there's no, there's no gameplay built in. Mm, it's yeah. just literally, if you want to think of it as another planet, like a digital planet in which you can live out a digital version of yeah. your life. Yeah. So I think, yeah, you're right. VR chat is probably the best analogy to, you know, help people understand what, what this virtual world could be. Yeah. And so um, you, you, you're, you went to virtual pets um so how did you settle on starting with dragons <laughs> you know we went through different variations of pets um and uh, my team and i actually tested out a lot of ideas at hackathons where we would prototype and see what really resonates with people um i went through a few early iterations of different pets one of them was this sort of amorphous blob it, he just looks like a little jelly cube, and the idea was that he could morph into different things, but we found that he wasn't as emotionally compelling because, you know, most people don't really dream about having a pet blob, yeah. but we wanted something that would really connect with people and resonate with people, so we thought, okay, well, everybody loves dragons, right? Thanks to Game of Thrones and How to Train Your Dragon, this pet dragon fantasy is something that a lot of people can relate to. Um, plus, there are a few bonuses in developing a pet dragon versus a more realistic pet is that like cats and dogs IRL are already very compelling. We don't want to attempt to reproduce that in VR. We yep. wanted to create something you can't have in real life. And um, another reason is more ergonomic because by having pets that fly at eye level, we can have more flexibility because we don't have to force users to have to crouch or bend down when they're playing. 
That's true. So, um, when you, how did your team, like, who's on your team and, like, how did you all decide to just, like, really go forward with Beast Pets as your first, is Beast Pets your first project? And how did you decide to go forward with that? Um, I've had different, uh, I'm sorry, I have to backtrack a little. First That's project okay. team. Um, so our, uh, I met my teammates through, um, different events and at different spaces. For instance, my co-founder I met and I met at a co-working space when we were both working on different projects at the time. And then later on, we brought in other team members that we also met at um, different VR events. And um, we just found common ground in this strong belief in, you know, virtual pets. Like when our product designer, one of my teammates, uh, we met her because she had built a virtual dog. Uh, and then my co-founder, um, when we met, he was working on an entertainment rating startup. So he's put a lot of thought into like how do people respond to digital media and building predictive algorithms and finding out what people want to see and hear. Yeah. And then we realized though that skill is extremely compatible with what we're building right now with pets because it's all about how people relate to um, whether it's a digital media or this virtual entity that they're interacting with. And then um, it was through going to different hackathons, like I mentioned, that we kind of like honed our skills on how we work together yeah. and figure out, you know, kind of like whether we're, we're passionate about pursuing yeah. a similar path. It's um, like, it's, it's a really interesting feeling when you first uh, when you when you're developing say unity and then you you uh i one time i just put like a pair of little black dots on my hands that followed my followed my face and yeah. um it, it just suddenly felt like there's a creature like in my world and it's watching me it was so easy to just have suddenly get that feeling um and like it was kind of magical like i was just sending standing in my room just waggling my arms around because now these little two little creatures are watching me <laughs> um yeah that was, it was really cool um so it's uh and and then like I, when i was thinking about what sort of game would have potential to be huge and i thought it might be something to do with like you know a companion of some kind and i've seen um uh like magic leap talk about AR pets as something that is one of the, you know, it could be one of the killer apps for augmented reality. Um, and like looking back over the history of like the internet had, or even pre-internet, we've always had like, people have dolls and toys, but then we've had Tamagotchi. Um, in the early days of the internet, there was Neopets. Mm -hmm. I loved playing Neopets. Um, and then there's a the whole craze over that whole time of Pokemon. So there's like, there's like a, we just naturally like enjoy having these companions and I think um, you're onto something awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And I think you bring up a, a good point is that companionship that people crave. And that was one of our motivations for building Beast Pets because as 
you know, as the, the line between our digital and real lives become more and more blurred, um, I think it's important for us all to have that trusty companion inside this, in this extended reality that we all live in. Yeah. So, um, I, I have, I've played your game and, um, I did get that sense of companionship and really like, like they're actually paying attention to me. Like, um, you, you put a lot of controls into sort of like a whistle to bring them to you or a ball you can throw and they chase the ball. Um, it was really like really cute and quite easy to play. So like overall it felt really family friendly. Um, and do, do you think we need more like family friendly content in VR? Like, or for example, um, the recent Angry Birds game was really cute and quite easy to play, but you can imagine all ages playing that. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on like, content? Uh, I think family-friendly content is important for VR to go mainstream. Because if we look back on all the mainstream consoles, um, there is one uniting factor amongst um, even just like the early Nintendo N64s all the way up to PlayStation and everything is that there's, of course, there, there are also the more hardcore games on there, but there's an mm. element to them that makes it easy to bring people of all ages in the family together. Like everyone can play. So I think by making type of content and hardware that's accessible to people of all ages and skill levels um you're opening up the platform to a much wider audience and that that's what has helped um gaming platforms in the past to go mainstream and i think that's what's going to help vr go mainstream as well yeah so when it comes to building family-friendly content for virtual reality um are there particular like specific challenges or opportunity like challenges or opportunities that the medium lends itself to like um so for example the hardware challenge um um people who are new to it uh they might not understand that they can reach out and touch things um how do you work around that in design yeah so that is something we paid um extra attention to especially mm. since we were targeting a family-friendly audience to be in with we were taking into account players of different heights and potentially body shapes and sizes. Um, and you have a good, you raise a good point with, for instance, the reaching out and touching. So uh, on the plus side, that's a very natural motion. Mm, yeah. If people were to see their hands in VR, they tend to want to reach out and touch things. So that's one advantage, for example, VR has over traditional um, like game controllers where you have to memorize buttons instead of having the natural motions. Yeah. Um, the challenges there, of course, are come with like, how do you entice them to reach out and touch the thing you want them to touch? So one of the, one of the tricks we use is to just have objects, for instance, or the flying dragons, right? Hover mm -hmm. just within arm's reach so that you know you learn that you have to reach out or that you have to reach out and take a step 
and then you guide gently guide the players into discovering this spatial movement and spatial navigation on their own. Yeah. And one of the things we've had to refine over and over again is how much um, how much instructing do we do versus how much uh, discovery that we encourage. So you know the difference between um, having a UI with instructions, which most people just blow right through, or having something sparkly that you know naturally entices them to reach out towards it. Yeah, yeah. I think you've I think you've found that balance really well, actually. Um, uh, when I was playing, it all felt really like easy to understand. Um, everything was very tactile, very physical. Um, yeah, it was. I think you've done a pretty good job of it all. Um, how did you like when you were developing? How did you get feedback and test test your game? Like, did you test it on on a on a range of audiences and? Yeah, so we were very fortunate to have um, kind of two major types of playtesters. One were the uh, early adopters, you know, that had HTC Vives or Oculus Rifts, the expensive headsets, but they were also very eager to try out family-friendly content on people and their families. Um, like, you know, maybe their parents or their children who are not typically gamers. And Beast Pets happened to be in that very friend family friendly category. So they would, uh, our, our playtesters would often test with their kids or, you know, maybe with their grandparents and give us feedback. So that was really great because one of the early challenges we had was that, well, only people in our small tight circles, people who are themselves early adopters or developers had the equipment, yeah. but they also are trained to look at things from a technologist or, or developer's point of view. That's very different from the end user. Yeah. And we wanted to make something that's end user friendly. Mm -hmm. So we were really fortunate to have dozens of play testers that fit that category. Um, and secondly, we also launched ver uh, our beta very early in VR arcades. So right now, as of today, we're in more than 200 location-based entertainment centers and arcades around the world and develop a good relationship with the arcade operators. And they were also a really important source of feedback because they're kind of, they're kind of like the first contact a lot of people have with VR. Mm, yeah. I, I see arcades as the ambassadors of VR, right? Operators as the ambassadors of VR. So they can tell you like they had, you know, grandmothers coming into play or doing kids' birthday parties or someone very tall or very short. They, so they see such a wide variety of people and they understand the technologies themselves. So um, as a developer, being able to work closely with arcade operators, you get insights that you would not get anywhere else. So we were, we were really lucky to have them as well. Do you deal, do you deal with the, the operators directly or is it via like a, a platform like Springboard or? Both. Both, Both. okay, cool, so, yeah. yeah. So uh, we work closely with Springboard. We also get a lot of very good feedback from platforms like Springboard. Um, but also we try to be as present as possible in various kind of uh, like arcade groups or places where arcade owners hang out and 
share insights and best practices. Yeah. So they know that they can contact us directly um, and share feedback. And we try to maintain a mailing list of all the arcades that we work with so then yeah. they can contact us. Yeah. That's nice. I think, um, you know, going when you go to a mall or, or an arcade, being able to just say, like, you have all these choices of games and, hey, there's a dragon pet simulator. I, I can yeah. see people doing that um, yeah. as, as their first choice because it just seems like, you know, there's, you, we can do a lot of rich interactions in VR. Um, but when you go into that, you kind of know you're going to get, you're going to get an experience um, that's pretty fun. Um, and it's something that you've never seen before. So I think it fits arcades really well. Um, so what's next for Beast Pets and your team? Oh, we have a lot of things coming. We, um, we are, we want you to feel more at home in Beast Pets. So we are building a home space that you can customize and be able to collect achievements. Um, yeah. we're also working on more advanced training modules for the dragons because yep. um, we've been improving what we've been calling their physical AI, like their, their motor functions and everything, which enables us to um, train them to engage with you in a more realistic and um, interactive manner. So, so uh, we're looking forward to that. Nice. Um, and uh, so, Here's like the my, my ob obligatory big picture question. Um, where do you see XR, VR, AR in 20 years from now? And uh, what would you love to be doing in that world? Okay, so I, I, I'm i going to make another virtual world reference, uh, yeah. but um, not outdated ones like I was doing previously. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I think I totally dated myself doing that. <laughs> But um, I'm going to assume everyone here, most of <laughs> your audience have watched Ready Player One. Yeah, yes. So I see some analogy of that as the VR, AR future, but not controlled by a single company. I see it as a lot of developers um, and some type of connecting technology yeah. that allows all of our creations to coexist. So, you know, not, not all developers creating for a single platform, but doing our individual things, but some sort of technology. Um, I know like for instance, open XR is working on something awesome that would allow you to say, put layers of augmented reality and virtual reality on top of each other. Yeah. So something like that, like that connects all of our creations. Yeah. So we'll have a near seamless transition from AR to VR and connecting back to the physical world. Yeah. There's something similar to the World Wide Web, but for um, VR. Yes. That's, That's much, much, much more pithy way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, knowing all the, the issues we've gone through with uh, internet browsers and stuff like mm -hmm. that, it, it might be a while away. <laughs> it might take a while. I know. Yeah. 20 years. I, I hope... I hope we can get there in 20 years, knock on wood. I really yeah, I would love so. to see that future. I really think so. <laughs> um, and then what would what would you love to be doing in that world? Are you going to, um, do you see yourself staying around the, the companions or um, 
still focusing on family friendly or branching out? What do you think you'll be doing? <laughs> it's seriously so far away. It's hard to tell. We might all we might all be in like vats and just with plugs in our brain by that point, but unlikely. <laughs> I I think it's gonna be some like super sci-fi ver- version of what what we're doing now. Yeah. You know, not that creating AI dragons isn't already pretty sci-fi, but, you know, give that 20 years, imagine what we can be doing. Maybe training huge dragons, maybe becoming a dragon. Yeah. Something. But I, I, I definitely see myself still working at the intersection of XR and AI. But, you know, um, it, it depends on it. Yeah, I mean... Oh yeah, like so many, there's so many possibilities. Like I feel like it just blows my mind thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, and and AI especially. Oh my God, where where are we gonna be in twenty years from now with uh, immersive tech and AI? It's be unreal, unreal. It's gonna be awesome. I, yeah, like we could be working on robotic AI pets, and that that you know we we control with our minds. Who knows, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, a lot can happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's bring it right back. Right now, what's your favorite VR experience? That is a hard question to answer. I have a long backlog of VR experiences that I purchased and haven't had time to play. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, I, I, I'm going to make a generalization. I love the very experimental boundary-pushing demos that developers push out, put out, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a full experience. It could just be a concept, but something that really tests the potential of XR or AI. And I love testing demos like that because it means that, you know, people aren't just sticking to formulas or playing it safe. They're, they're really building for the future. Um uh right now i'm basically like everyone else on the planet playing i'm playing i play a lot of beat saber <laughs> I, yeah, me too because yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just solid like um you go in and and you get exactly what you thought you were going to get every time it's just mm-hmm. yeah pretty enjoyable game um okay so um how can we learn more about you and your game and keep up with what you're working on the best way to stay in touch with us is to follow us on Twitter at Beast Pets or join our Discord channel, which is linked in our Twitter profile. Awesome. All right. Um, was there anything else you'd like to add? I, you asked awesome questions, so I can't. I, uh, I don't have anything to add at this moment. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So um, thank you so much, Vivian, uh, for coming on Virtually Playable. Uh, it's been really fun chatting with you um, from all the way back from HTML gaming to the future where we're, we're mind-controlling robots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, um, and, and I'll, I'll be keeping up with everything you're working on. Um, thank you. Thanks, Doc. Bye. Bye.